Welcome, listeners, to today's episode of the Authority Podcast on the B Podcast Network. So for some of you, you may hear the title of this book and think, that can't be so. A boss, that's not a good thing. But we're going to learn today what a good boss uh, is really about. And I'm really pleased to be joined by Kate Everly Walker. She's an education industry leader with 20 plus years of experience in a variety of roles. Uh, among other roles, she was previously CEO of the Princeton Review and since 2019 has been the CEO of Presence. And Kate's book is The Good Boss, Nine Ways Every Manager Can Support Women at Work. And so just like uh, Michael Scott once said, you know, boss, that's that means cool, right? That means a good thing. So Kate, welcome to the show. And we're, I'm really pleased to talk about this book. Thank you for having me. And I love the Michael Scott reference. I, I have to say he's never been brought up in connection with this book before. <laughs> well, right. Yeah, he would be, I mean, he would be a good example to use probably a variety of times in the book, not necessarily mm -hmm. uh, in positive light, right? But uh, certainly somebody that that embodies uh, a certain stereotype of a boss. But, um, you know, I kind of, I wanted to start with, you, you write about the fact that stories of successful women often start with a story about a good boss, about somebody who, um, you know, really help them to get onto their trajectory, right? Is that how it went for you in, in your career? Is that kind of what spurred your thinking around this? Yeah, it's absolutely what happened to me without me even really realizing it or thinking about it or probably appreciating my bosses enough for what they did for me over the years. I realized it actually because I set out to write a different book. I was going to interview a bunch of successful women I knew about their negotiation tactics, about you know how to negotiate for more pay for a promotion. And when I started going around interviewing and talking with women over and over again, I would have people say, you know what, I, I never actually asked for a promotion. I've never actually asked for a raise in my life. And the, you know, the strain that connected everyone's stories was they would say, I just, I had a boss who valued me, who appreciated me, who saw my potential and kind of gave me the next step. And then I started thinking back through my own path and realized that the same was absolutely true for me. I hadn't had to ask for and advocate for myself at every step. I would have people, you know, believe in me along the way. Yeah. And, um, you know, we talked before we started recording about our common, um, uh, home state of New Jersey. And so, um, you know, one of the most famous New Jersey uh, residents being the boss, Bruce Springsteen, and actually, you know, something that's not necessarily totally well known about him is that he, he kind of hates that nickname because he was not necessarily a, a pro uh, boss person in his upbringing, right? And somebody who thought more about um, blue collar workers and, and the fact that the management was typically more there to kind of to keep them down. Uh, but in any case, you know, that doesn't have to be the way it is, right? However, um, I think many, many people certainly have had experiences they've gone in their careers and they've maybe eventually moved into um, leadership and management roles, but perhaps had uh, negative lessons, I guess you could say that they learned from a boss or, or even a potential boss, right? Somebody they interviewed with and uh, were thinking about working for and then realized, hmm, I didn't exactly like the way they did that. Um, I know I have many of these examples on my end, but is there anything like that that has that you internalized and you really used? You know, I mean, you had 
things that you learn from people who were really the role models to you. But then certainly there's also those other things that you may think back and remember, you know what, when I'm in a position where I have that responsibility, I, I really want to make sure I don't do it that mm-hmm. way. Um, you know, anything like that, that you've really held on to and thought about. Yeah, I mean, there's probably probably a lot of a lot of those. A, a couple come to mind. One one is, you know, I've thought a lot about those because bo- I've had good bosses, I've had not so good bosses for sure. Um, I remember having a couple of bosses early in my career where I don't know if you ever had this where like you kind of like hid behind your desk a little bit when they were walking by, like you hoped they didn't stop to talk to you or like I had one where I'd, I'd take the long route to the bathroom so that I didn't have to walk by his office and risk that he'd call me in. Like I like I just I fundamentally didn't feel comfortable talking to my boss. And um, I, I still think about that like as my responsibility now that I'm a boss leading people, managing people like I feel like I need to figure out how to make them comfortable to mm-hmm. sort of win, win them over in a sense, like, you know, make them want to talk to me, not feel obligated or nervous to talk to me. And that that's something that, you know, come, comes up in a few places in, in the book, really this idea right. of being, you know, I, th- I think the best way to do that is to be authentic, to be relatable, to be someone that, you know, they feel like they can be themselves with. So that that has stuck with me. The, the other kind of bad boss behavior that I dealt with at a few points was um, bosses that wouldn't, they, they wouldn't give me a straight answer. So, you know, for example, I had this one boss that I, I did ask for a raise from after realizing that some of my colleagues were making more money than I was. Right. Um, and I, you know, really like worked up my whole, you know, pitch and justification and asked in maybe too polite of a way. And he, and he didn't give me an answer. He just said, well, you know, let me, let me think about it. And then he never brought it up again. And I had to ask again. And actually it was on the third try of asking like, you know, did you get a chance to talk to HR about that? Did you have any more thoughts Um, that it became very clear that, you know, the answer was effectively a no, but I didn't Mm -hmm. know if he'd ever asked anybody else about it. And, and, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't work for him for much longer. That was what really set me on a path to leave the company I was at and, and go, go work for somebody that, you know, at least would be honest with me about where I stood. Yeah. Yeah. That one really resonates because, uh, particularly in situations where there's multiple tiers of communication going on, right? So if you Mm -hmm. are a, you know, in some type of middle management role, you're a director of your department and you have your, um, your staff, but you, there's somebody above you who's making decisions about things like raises and promotions, right? And you go to that person and say, look, I think so-and-so deserves this opportunity. And they give you some kind of answer that you're trying to uh, authentically convey to your Mm -hmm. team. And you realize down the line that they're either giving you the runaround or maybe they're just being dishonest. And now it's like, okay, now they've made me into a liar yeah, because Mm -hmm. I'm trying to tell, you know, my team, uh, what was told to me. And I now realize that I wasn't really told the truth. And now, now you have all kinds of dysfunction. Um, and it's, 
impossible to build any type of an organization like that, right? If you if people can't uh, really trust you, then all of a sudden they are they're it's the right thing for them to do to go in a different direction. Yeah. And, and, and a, a quick, clear no is so much more appreciated. I think by most people than the sort of not giving a straight answer yeah. and, and dragging it out. And I think it's, it's human nature. It's, it's hard to say no. I think a lot of people, a lot of managers struggle with that, but um, I think honesty is always is always better people will always appreciate it i totally agree so the book is organized into these nine rules of the good Mm -hmm. boss and uh, we're not going to cover all of them but uh, but we will touch on a handful of them and and get into some of the details and uh so let's just start with the first rule of course there's there's certainly a reason why you made it the first rule. Um, and uh, this is about getting a woman's name right and using mm-hmm. her name. Um, and so what's so powerful about this? Why is this your number one rule? So the, you know, the, the rules are progressive, I would say. And so I, I start with one that I think every, not only should everyone follow, but everyone can, right? It's, it's, you know, simple, maybe deceptively simple, like get people's names right, pronounce them correctly, spell them correctly. Uh, Don't make up a nickname that she never said she uses uh, and so on. And actually I will say this, this is the longest rule. It's the longest chapter in the book. When I started out, I remember thinking like, I don't know, this is, this, this, I don't know, this is going to, create a whole chapter. And I just kept going and going. And I found that this resonated with women of all ages, all levels, that this was really something that was weighing on women in terms of their experience in the workplace. It's so common to have someone mix up your name and it just really channels to somebody that, you know, you, you don't respect them or you don't think they're important enough to take the time to learn their name and remember right. their name. So, so I put it first because it it, it, ha- it it has to come first. If you can't give someone that much time, attention, respect to just, you know, call them by the right name, how are you going to earn the trust and the respect down the line that you need to like really, really work and really accomplish things together? Yeah, absolutely. As far as knowing uh, people's names. This is something that for whatever reason, I don't exactly know why, but I always have a lot of anxiety around it, even though I can't really think of any circumstance of me getting somebody's name wrong. I'm always <laughs> very much like, <laughs> way to say it, I mean, but I can have somebody that I've like known for a while, obviously not known as a super close relationship, but known. And I, I know exactly what their name is. And yet in my head, it's like, wait a second, <laughs> is, there, is there something else? And I, I, I don't know what it is, but, but I, it certainly is an important and powerful thing for, um, for any, you know, any, any members of your workforce who are not uh, in the traditional seats of power, right? The majority. So it's, it's about cultural responsiveness as well, where it's, you know, almost um, becomes this joke that some people make about all oh, that name's hard to say it's hard to pronounce and again right it's that indication like you said that it's not important enough for me to figure out how to say it correctly or how to remember it and uh if i truly value you and respect you in your role 
then it's the least I can do is, is, you know, get your name right. right? Yeah. I mean, this, this happens and we talk about this in education a lot. You know, this, you know, studies show this can really have an impact on a student's experience in the classroom if their teacher isn't getting their name right. And, um, you know, the data on workplace names, use of names shows that it it actually does happen to women more often in the workplace that someone gets, gets her name wrong, or, um, it's really common to, have someone address you by a nickname that you didn't necessarily, you know, choose or, or use. I've actually, I, I, if I had a dollar for every time someone's called me Katie instead of Kate, I would be a rich woman. Um, it, it happens still regularly. And it, it's, you know, and I think some might say, well, Katie, Kate, close enough, but eh, they're different names. Right, right. Now there's, well, there's, there's your chosen name and that's, mm-hmm. you know, what you obviously prefer. And, um, so that's an important starting point. And then, you know, we go into the second rule, which is about being authentic. It's being someone that she can relate to and building those authentic relationships. And this is one where um, I feel that there has been a fair amount of growth in this area over the course of the pandemic mm-hmm. uh, between bosses, colleagues, you know, people working remotely that. Um, may not have been working remote before the pandemic, or maybe they were, but their kids were at school or somewhere. You know, there, there was fewer people in the house, um, fewer things to to account for. And I think a lot of people through that learned to be more honest about what they're struggling with and just sharing their lives outside of work. Uh, I, I personally, I've been working from home for five or six years now. And I always, I found for the first few years of that, that it was like, you almost, I mean, it was extreme to the side of having um, lesser relationships than you did in the office Mm -hmm. Uh, for no other reason than it was just, there always seemed to be a pressure to get right down to business anytime there was a yeah. meeting, maybe because nobody wanted to be on Zoom or whatever the case may be. There just was no, um, it, it felt like any amount of small talk was wasting time. Whereas when you're in an office, it just doesn't quite feel that way. Uh, but I think a lot of that has shifted. And now, of course, we're sort of accounting for the different perspectives and attitudes that companies have toward return to office versus hybrid, et cetera. But all of that to say that perhaps we've made some progress here. However, um, you know, what, what is important to highlight about this and knowing about doing it in a way that's healthy and productive, right? And, and something mm-hmm. where um, I think all parties involved feel that ability to be authentic, to be honest, to be vulnerable when, it, you know, when needed uh, and feel as though it, it is strengthening those relationships versus something where it's like, I'm giving you maybe some fuel that you can kind of hold against me later if you choose to. Yeah. Or even just giving people the space to share what they want to share, right? There's always this line between you want to, I, I think as a manager, you want to show that you're you're genuinely interested and genuinely care about the people you work with, but you also want to be careful not to ask an intrusive question mm-hmm. or make someone feel like they have to share. I think social social media is one of those really fraught areas. You know, some people really like to connect with their 
with their coworkers on Instagram or Facebook or whatever. And some, some really feel strongly like, mm. you know, personal life, work life. So, you know, for, for me, it's, th- this is uh, one of the hardest rules to, to get to, to depict universally because it really is about being nuanced and, you know, learning each person that you work with and each person that you manage and and finding the right amount of, you know, what you want to share about yourself, which hopefully will make them feel more comfortable sharing in return. Um, And, you know, just trying to get the cadence right. You know, a lot of, a lot of studies of employees show that they, they do want to feel like they have a friendship with their boss. Mm. Um, but you know, there's a specific definition and we all have, you know, this concept of like the work friend versus the the friend friend. Um, and it's true. Like there, you know, there, there is a little more arm's length about it. And I, I think this is a really interesting one in the context of post COVID more remote work, more engaging on zoom. I think that there, you know, there are some, easy icebreakers that came this way, right? Like it, before the invention of virtual backgrounds, which I think has backtracked us a little bit by covering people's natural environments for a while, especially in those early COVID days, you could you could see where people lived and, you know, you could see their pets and you could see mm-hmm. their kids and the art on their walls and ask questions about it. And it was a way to, you know, really ask people about themselves, but on their terms you know they were choosing where they sat and what I know I was very selective back in those days about you know where I angled my camera what you know what I showed on the floor and what I didn't so you know I I think remote work has has made has made it a little easier to break the ice on on some of those more personal connections but um, you know it's not it's not really that that's just what you're seeing in someone's camera view. I, I think you've got as a manager, you've got to really show that you're you're interested and you're open. Yeah. And that usually comes from some combination of sharing about yourself. Um, I think family is often the common connector, right? If you talk about your kids, it makes people more comfortable talking about theirs. Um, and you know, the goal is just to let people feel like they can be themselves at work. It's, it's, it's sad, you know, read a lot about how many people don't feel like they can be their Mm. authentic selves at work. And my feeling is just, you know, if you, if you, if your goal is to be, is to be a good boss, to be, and to be successful as a manager, you know, who's going to do their best work for you if they don't even feel like they're being themselves. Right. Yeah. And and so many of the the through lines in all of these lessons and these these rules is um it's about like understanding the perception and relationships that individuals and you know groups that are a part of would traditionally have to their boss and proactively addressing those right i mean i i joked earlier about you know doesn't everybody kind of hate their boss i mean i as somebody who has employees of my own, I hope I hope that's not true. But the point is, like, we have to understand when we're in that role that that's part of the responsibility that we have is to say it's not enough for me to just kind of 
tacitly try to do things in a different way, but I need to understand like, this is how people feel. This is how they're affected by this. It's, it's a really similar conversation that we have um, so often in education around students and their relationship to school and what was their parents' experience like in school? What, what has their experience been like with their teachers? Do they, if they don't feel comfortable in the classroom, for example, they might have a, a wonderful teacher that isn't necessarily the one that's, that's creating that dynamic. But if that person is not aware of, okay, these are the different traumas or feelings or perceptions that this person is having, then there's something that's going to limit them from reaching their full potential mm -hmm. because they, they're a little shy, right? They're a little hesitant to put themselves out there because, well, what happens if I'm judged harshly for showing that part of myself? Or if nobody comes to me and explicitly says, I value you, I want to know you, I want to hear about what's happening in your life, then I'm not necessarily going to want to, to share that because I just, I don't think that it's going to get me anywhere. Right? It's risky. It feels risky, right? To share. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I really have a negative reaction to the, the idea that, you know, if someone is an introvert or is more shy that, you know, it should be on them to, mm -hmm. you know, well, they have to have confidence. They have to learn how to speak right. up for themselves. That's, that's a, a, as a very shy child and quiet student. Like I felt it from back then that I, I needed somebody to ask me what I thought. And when people asked that, you know, that, 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 then I had a lot to say and a lot to contribute. And, um, I, I think the same is true in the workplace. And I, you know, I felt that way for a lot of my career. Um, I, I wasn't necessarily good at interjecting into conversations, but, you know, when people asked and cared to hear, I had a lot to contribute. And I, I do think that, there, I mean, this other recurring theme throughout the book is just again and again, putting it back on the manager. Like you're, you know, you're the one who has the power. You're the one who's in charge. Like you, it's easier for you to make it comfortable for the people who work for you than for them to have to assert themselves and, um, and, you know, sort of change their own environment. Yeah. I think that's a perfect example of, of what you write about in rule number five, right, which connects really closely to two, two is about mm -hmm. that, you know, authentic and, and developing relationships. Rule five is watch the clock, which is kind of just being aware. And this, of course, this specifically is with your female employees um, who often have the, the lion's share of parenting responsibilities. And they have, they have a lot of things that they have to kind of toggle between um, being aware of what they're juggling and where you write, you know, men they maybe more willing to speak up and enforce that hard stop and say, Hey, I have to go do X, Y, Z. Um, a woman may not feel as comfortable to say so. And so, whereas the, the boss, you might, again, you might be totally flexible and you would say, Oh, well, why didn't you say something? Um, this is about kind of reflecting to ourselves and not, not being sensitive or taking it personally or thinking, well, if somebody's not comfortable, then it means that, that they don't like me, but it's about saying, look, I, okay, I, can I understand why, um, you know, when we're in the middle of a, a work conversation, 
everybody might not feel comfortable to <laughs> say to their superior in this case, right? Hey, uh, I, I need to go do something that's not work related, right? Um, and understanding that, um, you know, there also may be extra support or needs that your employees have that you need to tune into, um, which is, you know, another one that I think we all learn this kind of as we go, Hope, you know, hopefully if we're continuing to evolve as managers and, you know, mm -hmm. executives and such to say, okay, where are the opportunities to be, again, proactive and to just say, look, here's a story. If you need this, you know, figuring out who, when there are people who are not going to ask, but you can tell what they need. Yeah. And, and listen, also, I mean, <laughs> I remember some, you know, sort of at the time they felt like my own horror stories where I, I would have told my boss get going into a meeting, listen, I really need to leave by six or I'm not going to get home in time for my nanny. And, um, you know, six o'clock would come and go and I'd be like waiting and hoping like, oh, I thought he was going to I thought he would say something and you know, I'd be trying to like make eye contact to signal, is it okay for me to go? But I, I was too nervous in some of those contexts to just say it, um, you know, in front of other more senior people and be like, you know, hey, I need to leave. Like it, it was hard. It was tr genuinely hard to say in some contexts. And, yeah. um, and so, yeah, I think at a minimum, if you're in a management role, just definitely at least listen to people when they do tell you about a time mm -hmm. constraint and remember, which we all get busy. We forget. I'm, I can be a forgetful person sometimes, but I try very hard on that one. If somebody has told me they need, they're going to be late, they're going to leave early, they're going to be out for half a day, whatever it is to just pay attention and not make them have to, you know, say it again. Right. Yeah. And then there's, you know, there's also those opportunities that it, that if again if we're reflective about it where you have the opportunities to be as generous as you can be with making accommodations because sometimes there are times where something happens and it, and it can't like you're not able to do what you want to do mm -hmm. but when there's a time where for example you know somebody's having um one of the you know a, a difficult day for whatever reason and they ask oh can i can i beg out of this meeting and i need some time to collect my thoughts and particularly when we're in this remote work world and you can say you know what actually <laughs> uh there's nothing going on that's that critical today why don't you like take the rest of the day mm -hmm. and kind of and i'm here like if, if you want to talk about it i'm here but also I don't really need to know. Like it's up to you. And yeah. it's it's not always easy, but it's the kind of thing that's saying people have different, right? There's certain folks who say, I really would like to express to you what I'm going through because I want to feel like I'm able to lean for support. There's other times where it's like, yeah, I mean, if if I could just take some time and not be asked, that would be great. Um, and, you know, but when the opportunity presents itself to say, hey, yeah, there's li there's literally no downside to this right now and it's all upside, um, take advantage of it because there might be another day where it's not quite that flexible. Yeah, yeah. And I do think there's always, the, the, it's, it's fairly easy to invite someone to share more or talk to you about it more if they want to without you know, pressuring them to 
share if they don't want to talk about it. And I, and I think that always giving that open door, if, you know, if somebody wants to talk goes a long way. So we'll go to your ninth rule. And this is a, a big one. Um, and it's one that uh, it relates to a lot of conversations we've certainly had on this podcast. Um, it's tell her that you see her potential, discussing your employee's future and creating those opportunities. And uh, it's a big factor. It's come up a lot here because of its relationship to teacher attrition mm -hmm. and teachers uh, not feeling that their school is proactive about growth opportunities, just not feeling like, again, I mean, let alone when you go to your boss and say, look, here's what I'm hoping to do. Here's where I want to be. And they just don't really get on board with it. Um, but making it part of the culture that, you know, you, you can see those opportunities maybe before your, your employee even sees them. You can see where they're headed. You can kind of speak that into them. Um, what have you learned about doing this right? Right. Because of course you're also, you're wanting to make um, the right calls about, okay, I kind of, you know, I can see the potential correctly and I can see where this person's heading or not. And it's, mm -hmm. it's not as simple as just saying, okay, everybody just kind of, it's a free for all. Everybody mm -hmm. goes wherever they want to do, but it's also reinforcing that, look, you have somebody on your side who wants to help you to succeed and wants to bring that conversation out and doesn't view it as a threat when people have ambitions. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, one, one thing that I think is important to remember is this is, I mean, this is the kind of thing it's, it's important for all employees, regardless of gender identity to, you know, to encourage them and to, you know, talk about career path, career development. Why is it in this book about supporting women? It's because for, for women, I think there's a disproportionate need for this because they're not seeing as many role role models, relatable role models, representation when when they look up at who is in those next roles. And I think that's something that um you know was true for me working in corporate finance. There were there were you know predominantly men, male CEOs, male CFOs, um, and, and so on that I was working for. I didn't really see anyone where, you know, I believed that could be me or could really easily picture myself becoming that. Um, and I think it's it's quite true in education as well. Um, you know, you know, work, my company works with school districts across the country and there are, um, you know, obviously majority uh, women in the educator workforce, but when you look at that superintendent's office, it, it is still by, you know, quite a margin majority male. So we, we have to think about it in these, in these workplaces where, the you know the the more you rise up the more likely it is to uh to be a male to be you know a, a white male in particular in a lot of cases um you have to think about what that is um leaving as a gap for everyone who's underrepresented who, can, who can't just have that natural affinity right mm -hmm. and so that that's part of why i think it's important to to be deliberate in bringing it up and asking and, and not just saying, you know, what do you want to do next in your career, but pointing out, you know, where you see somebody who, who, you know, and saying, I think you could be 
really great. I mean, I remember, I always remember the first time someone did this for me. I had never, you know, I was not one of those people who kind of went through school saying, you know, I'm going to be a CEO. Right. Uh, I'm going to run a company. I really, it, it honestly never occurred to me. Um, and uh, even as I was growing in my career and working for CEOs and working with a lot of CEOs, it still truly never occurred to me that like that could be my next step. And then I was I was working for someone who, you know, he said, you know, I want to talk to you about an opportunity on my team to run a division. And, you know, I was like, that's not what I do. Like, I, you know, I have this job over here. And he's like, well, where do you see yourself doing in five years? Because I think you're going to be a, a CEO. I think you're going to be a really great CEO. And it was like really mind blowing to me that somebody said that to me. Um, and it changed everything about how I thought about what I could be, what I wanted to be. It still took me frankly, a number of years beyond that to get all the way to thinking like, yeah, that is, that is what I want for myself. I'm going to go for it. But, um, you know, I don't know if, when or if I would have thought about it, if I hadn't had somebody tell me they saw that in me, it really matters to hear, but we all need positive feedback and positive reinforcement. And especially when it comes to moving up in your career, uh, you don't want to feel like you're always always striving or always asking for the next opportunity to feel like, you know, your, your boss or even your peers and colleagues see you as somebody who could do that next job. Really, I think it, it, you know, it changes everything about how you see yourself and makes it, you know, that much more likely that you're going to be successful. So what, you know, what I talk about with my teams now is having a really, you know, purposeful part of, you know, at least their quarterly check-ins where they talk not just about, you know, the tactical performance feedback, but about what's next, you know, where, where, where do you want to learn more in the company, even if it's, you know, cross-divisionally learning mm -hmm. something new, like really always having that be part of the conversation so that it's comfortable. And so that um, when somebody does see another opportunity that they're interested in, they, they feel like they can legitimately go for it or can legitimately ask about it and don't, you know, don't feel worried about what the response is going to be. Yeah. And then you as, as an organization, you're benefiting from the growth of your team, right? And, and those yeah. conversations are helpful, whether or not you, it may be the case as it was with you, where you, that wasn't necessarily what you thought you were headed toward or what you envisioned. Um, there could be other people who they think that's their goal, but they don't exactly know why, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why people may want to, to be at the top level of a company that don't have a lot to do with what the job actually is, but of course there's a variety of factors, but having those conversations is understanding, here's why I think you'd be good at it. And now you're thinking about why you would want to do that or not want to do that. Yeah, or, it could just be very validating, right? Uh -huh. That you, yeah, that you deserve to be considered. Um, yeah, and, and I think like you said, I mean, you you want, you, you benefit from having people develop in your own organization. If you don't have these conversations, especially these days, right? Like then they're gonna leave and mm -hmm. go take the next step somewhere else. I mean, I think that's what we're unfortunately seeing across education right now is 
a lot of people deciding that, you know, they, they want their next step to be outside of the school. And we, we see that in our company and um, our beneficiaries of, of that talent pool, but it's, yeah. it's, it's sad to see because I, you know, I do think that there are really great development opportunities inside schools too. And, you know, I think we need to, need to talk about it more. Yeah. So we, ha- we haven't talked about all the rules, of course, but um, you may want to reference one that we have or have, have not mentioned, but are there any that in your mind you feel that um, female bosses struggle with more than males? Because, you know, we're talking about rules, of course, for being a good boss for your female employees. So um, a lot of times, of course, these are important because a male may not really think about what's important to female, but there also are other times where uh, we can be harder on the people who are like us, right? And because we have this certain perception of how we did it or how, you know, okay, well, I got here based on X, Y, Z, so you should be able to do it too. And, um, you know, when we fail to kind of be reflective or think about, okay, well, everybody's still different. <laughs> everybody still needs what they need. Um, it can sometimes be harder to do certain things. Um, you know, in that case, I, I don't know if that's has come to mind as you developed any of these or just in your experience. So it's, it's really interesting. I'd say over the, you know, over the time that I've had the book out and have been talking about it, I would say the most common question that I get from readers is some version of, you know, Hey, it feels like you wrote this book for male managers, for male bosses, but uh, why aren't you talking about how terrible female bosses can be to other women, how terrible women can be to women. Um, that's, th- that's sort of the, this, this common, I don't know, perception, experience, probably some combination, but there's this real, there's this real pronounced feeling out there that women are not good bosses for other right. women. And a lot of people do have, you know, their own personal anecdotes about a female boss who, you know, didn't, didn't treat them respectfully. And so, um, you know, it got me thinking a lot and, and talking a lot about, uh, you know, how are these rules different for male bosses versus female bosses? And, um, you know, should they be read and thought about differently? And, and I think there's, um, you know, I think there's some like, uh, like rule two, which we talked about, you know, being relatable, being authentic. I think that's one that's easier for female bosses mm-hmm. of women, right? Because they have, you know, they, they have a gender in common. They have maybe more, you know, easy uh, connecting points. One that I think is harder is um, rule number eight. Um, I don't know if I'm allowed to say say a bad word on this podcast. Be, be, an, be an equal opportunity asshole. Um, <laughs> this is one that I, I I definitely wrote it with some of you know my particular male bosses in mind who were good bosses to me, but they did it in a way where they were they were pretty obnoxious. I mean, they were just pretty hard and direct with their advice. And you know, the point that I was making about them was that the you know the 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 way that they were hard on me and gave me the negative feedback was the same way that they treated the men that, that we worked with. So I felt very equal. Um, I I didn't feel treated differently as a woman. I think this one is harder for female bosses to find that right line for themselves of being honest, 
giving direct feedback, particularly given negative feedback. Um, I think that that is harder for a lot of women because I think uh, it's not as well received. Mm -hmm. You know, I think there's, you know, we could go in a whole circle about this one, but, you know, I think in general, we, we accept that behavior and I've, you know, come to terms a little bit with maybe I glorified that behavior from male bosses. Um, but, you know, do we treat female bosses the same way? I think, um, you know, we're very critical of women who give hard, direct, honest feedback. So there's some of these that I, that I think really are different and, um, and harder for, for women to, to embrace the rules in the same way. Yeah. And it almost makes me wonder if, um, part of the the exercise if if you are a female boss who's having a little trouble with some of these if it part of it isn't kind of reflecting on them and thinking about you know is it that you haven't given yourself permission to be the beneficiary of the rules you know perhaps when you were coming up you didn't have somebody who treated you this way so you felt like you had to hide your outside work and you you know you had to do certain things to get where you got and what would you know, what would your life have been like, or would it have been easier, or would it have just been more comfortable if somebody had been there to treat you like that? And then, you know, do you want to then do that for others? It, it, mm-hmm. it, it, you're kind of holding on to those things because you feel like that's how you got there, right? Which can be hard. It's because- Yeah, like, well, I dealt with that. You can deal with it too, right? I think there, I think there's always some of that, right? That maybe, yeah, maybe, you know, you're harder on other women because you had to go through it. Um, I think there's also different, like, like I'll say now that I'm in a company that is majority female across mm. all levels, it's easier for me to be in the majority. And I think that's, you know, that that's what's underlying a lot of this is it's it's harder for anyone who is underrepresented, who, who you know, who's not in the majority of, you know, whatever that, that their workforce right. is, um, is made up of. And in my case, I really see the other side of it now being in a company that's over 80% female um I'm like oh so this the this is easier it, you know yeah. it, it's just easier to be in the majority absolutely so here's my last question and I have no idea what the answer to this would be <laughs> but so let's say you are a boss and, and you've been in your role for a handful of years right um and you haven't specifically thought through any of these types of strategies or how you enact them. So you, you haven't, at, at the very least, you haven't intentionally fostered this type of culture. It's not necessarily to say that you're doing the opposite, but you haven't done it intentionally. And so you may be thinking about it and realize I'm not actually aware of Mm-hmm. What do my employees really think about me or how would they rate me based on mm-hmm. these measures, right? And so you want to kind of start, you're not starting from scratch, you're not starting in a new role, you're trying to now reestablish the type of boss that you are um, to people who already have one relationship to you. Where would you start? Uh, what's the first, you know, whether it's one of these you know, lessons, these, these rules that you would say, well, try this one first, or is it more of an overall um, thinking thing to say, all right, I need, uh, basically, I want to reset here, and I want to be more intentional about this, um, and how do I, you know, how might I go about that? 
Yeah, I think, well, you know, I think of the rules we've talked about, the rules in the book, I do, I always really advocate to someone and you can, you know, you can do the cheat sheet version and and read through the, you know, the introduction without reading every single chapter. Uh, You know, my sense is people are different, everyone's different, and most likely one of the rules will just feel more natural. Like, you know, you feel like that's something I could do. I would, I would always say, start there, start with the one that feels like you, right? For some, that might be being equal opportunity asshole. For others, it's not going to be at all. Um, so that's one tactic. But the the other thing that I think is just universally not hard to do and always well-received is just start asking people what they think in, you know, in meetings, in mm-hmm business conversation, you know, don't, don't be like, don't be weird about it. Right. Don't, don't suddenly like sit down with every employee and be like, listen, I haven't done a good job of, right. um, you know, or, or go saying, you know, I'd love some, some honest feedback from you about how I'm doing. Right. Like those, those things can be a little awkward. Um, and you might not, you know, get, get a whole, you know, transparent list of like what you could do better, but it is, always appreciated and, you know, always well-received and it is respectful and it is a big step to just start listening more than talking, paying attention. And particularly if you're in a meeting, watch who's talking and ask someone who hasn't said anything, what do you think? Um, And, you know, that, that will not only establish you as somebody who listens and somebody who cares, to hear the thoughts of others, but it'll actually, you know, it, it will help you do your job better to, you know, no, nobody, nobody has all the answers, right? It is there. Every person knows something that you don't know, or has a perspective you don't have. And so I think if you just start changing the way you interact in meetings in particular to start asking other people, what do you think? It um, starts to open them up and starts to, you know, show them that you you do care yeah Yeah, excellent and making a habit of of course because uh uh that person if you've never asked them before their first answer might not be the best because they're not expecting to be asked but ask them again and again and you Mm -hmm. get some good stuff right um Mm -hmm. or you know what just buy the book and then carry the book around the office and say look if i'm acting different it's because I am rule number three. I'm learning how to be a good boss. And so uh, it's not coming out of thin air. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Excellent. So Kate, is there anywhere in particular you'd like to direct our listeners to find you? We're certainly going to put the links to your website and to the book and everything in the show notes. But if there's anything else in particular, we'd love to hear it. Yeah, I am always posting on Instagram. It's CEO author mom, uh, where I'm always sharing thoughts both on the topics of the book and about uh, my day job at presence and teletherapy, remote work. So that is one great place to see what I've got going on. And of course, presence.com and all, all the web information that you've got. Excellent. Well, Kate, uh, thank you so much for being on The Authority. Listeners, uh, we're going to put the link below to where you can find The Good Boss and more of Kate's work and social media uh, profiles. And, um, you know, if you're a listener also who is in a position where maybe you're not a quote unquote boss right now and you're thinking about how can I advocate for um, my supervisor to to use some of these strategies with me, um, 
you know, we'd love to hear from you. Just send us a note. There, there might be a lot more to explore here because we know that this relationship dynamic happens from all sides. So um, we'd love to hear about anything that you're struggling with in that regard as well. So please do reach out. Please subscribe to The Authority for more in-depth author interviews like this one or visit bpodcast.network to learn about all of our shows. And Kate Everly Walker, thanks so much for being on The Authority. Thank you. It was great talking with you. 